Hello, everyone. This is Sherry Wright. Welcome to Access to Healthcare's weekly podcast, where we bring you local and national guests on a variety of topics important to you and your family. Today, we are discussing the effects of isolation on children. This last year has been hard on everyone. Everyone in their own ways have had to cope in some way with the effects of the pandemic. But what about our children? They have had to quarantine, had to do long-distance learning. They have had to wear a mask, be socially distanced, not able to play with their friends, and possibly worry about a sick family member. How has all this affected our children, and how can we help? Today, my guest is always on these type of topics is Noran Brooklocker. Nora Ann is a marriage and family therapist with Sierra Sunrise Wellness, and we're glad to have you back, Nora Ann. Welcome. Uh, thank you so much for having me again. I truly appreciate it. Yeah, this is great. We're getting a lot of um, information out to people, information that um, that really affects their families and affects their lives, and this is certainly a topic that, that does that. Let's start with a few definitions, Nora Ann, if we can. Social isolation, I think we all have a sense of what that is from our own experience, but is there an actual definition for that? Right. Uh, So that is the literal physical uh, apartness from others, so being physically distant from others, yes. So physically distant from others, meaning uh, time and space. So I don't live near anybody, somebody Uh, I don't have people that come visit me. Um, I don't go out much. So social isolation really is what the pandemic has brought on for so many of us. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, I remember. I don't don't remember the date when the governor said that we needed to stay home. Um, But I remember thinking, stay home. Oh, my goodness. Because that was very new for all of us. We come and go as we please. And... Suddenly, someone was telling us we literally had to stay home. Did you have a lot of clients that reacted to that um, criteria to stay home? Yeah, yeah, I certainly did. I actually do remember the date, March 16th, in fact, um, because that was my last day in my office. And um, I recall my clients uh, kind of uh, having these, huge, huge waves of emotion at that point in time. You know, there there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of uh, concern as to what's what's happening right now. And um, it was it was quite a, an adrenaline rush, I would say, even at that moment in time and not necessarily in the best way. But then, of course, um, there were the questions of, well, but how? <laughs> how is this all going to work? We're just going to stop? And I remember leaving my office on March 16th and feeling this sense of disbelief that this was happening and watching as everything was grinding down to a halt. And um, I think that for so many of my clients as well, um, some also felt relief. Some also felt this sense of like, oh, okay, well, two weeks, yeah, yeah, sure, I could do two weeks. (laughs) And, of course, uh, now we're coming up on almost a year here. So it really has been quite an extended event, and not everyone has stayed home for that long period of time, of course, Um, but it certainly has been quite a changed environment, hasn't it? 
It really has. Um, and you'd think I'd remember that date. It was actually my birthday, which is interesting. It was oh, my wow. 70th birthday, and we were going to all go out to dinner, the whole family, and my family was here from Hawaii, and um, everything did grind to a halt. And then I got on a plane uh, very soon after that to go uh, with part of my family back to the islands. But it, I think it was disbelief, don't you? Part of it was, how could this have happened? And the suddenness of it, there was no, like there was no buildup to the needing to isolate. Um, you know, for me, there was a little bit, actually. There were kind of whispers of it, of, hey, this is happening, this is rolling in. And I remember the cruise ships. I don't rec- I don't know if you recall the cruise ship. Oh yeah. That was yeah. one of my first indications, uh-oh, something is mm-hmm. going on here. I remember listening to a news story on NPR about people being quarantined on their cruise ships and you know, infection illness that can certainly break out on big ships like that. That is why they always have the sanitation stations and there's a lot of checks around illness and what have you cuz unfortunately diseases can spread in a, an environment like that. Um but then I recall that um they weren't allowed to dock for a really long time and uh finally they were able to dock and they started coming into the US and I remember thinking Hmm, I wonder where it's going to go from here. And initially, I recall like UC Davis had some people and Florida had some people. And, um, you know, then we started hearing about more and more cases. And um, that was, you know, January, February, and then coming into March, then it was like, oh, oh boy, this is really spreading. This is really, this is really happening very quickly. And then, of course, we were also watching the reports in other areas of the world. Italy included, Italy perhaps even especially. Right, um, right. So I, I think that there was there's whispers of it, but then for it to really happen mm-hmm. here was a very strange thing. Yeah, because we, we tend to think in the uh, United States that it won't happen to us, which is interesting. So let's talk about loneliness. What is the definition of loneliness? So loneliness is, the um, subjective experience of desiring for connection, I I think. But in addition to that, perhaps it's not having uh, meaningful uh, interactions with others. And that, you know, again, loneliness could be in a crowded room. Um, But also in this circumstance, with the social isolation, just because you're isolated doesn't necessarily mean you're lonely. However, the loneliness is the the experience of almost like um, a pain from being apart or a pain from not being able to have that sense of connectedness. Well, it's true. And and we all have experienced, I would assume, I'm making an assessment here, but most adults have experienced loneliness sometime in their life and they've created a certain definition or a feeling about loneliness from their experiences. Isn't that true? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I would definitely say so. Yeah. And social isolation. I mean, I've felt lonely in a crowd. Um, I'm an introvert, as you know, and if I don't know anybody there, I have to make a real effort to get to know somebody. And there's certainly a loneliness in the crowd or a sense of isolation in a crowd because you don't know anyone. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So how yeah. do these social isolation and loneliness, how do they move into 
depression? So depression, um, again, that's more of like that persistent sadness. It might even be a feeling of emptiness for some. Um, Sometimes there can be feelings of worthlessness, hopelessness, a loss of pleasure in activities that would normally bring enjoyment. Um, It might be that there are those uh, change in sleep patterns, such as sleeping more or less. Um, a restlessness for a lot of people as well, um, difficulty concentrating or making decisions. Uh, there might be some crying spells or appetite changes, uh, which also might lead to some weight changes. And certainly we've heard about the quarantine 15. Um, there might be <laughs> yeah. physical manifestations of aches like the headaches or the tummy aches. Um, it really can present a little bit differently depending on the person. And also, I will say here, um, children and adolescents, it might actually show up as increased irritability. And children might um, show up as kind of some more regressive behaviors. There might be some increased clinginess. There might be um, ways in which uh, they're kind of all over the map with their emotions, you know, and I think that depending on the person, one of the the biggest pieces here linking it back to social isolation and the loneliness um, is when it comes to, uh, again, this persistence of these emotions, that's when we really get into the depression territory. You know, a lot of people had a lot of really big emotions on the initial outset of this experience, and as we went into the summer months, it, it perhaps shifted a bit. Um, and then, of course, we've had additional external um, situations that happened as well um, that have exacerbated it. So some some people even went into this experience with already having depression that might have found that it became amplified. So there's there's a lot of ways that these three can interact. Hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit more about children. I know that friendship and peer interactions are important to all of us. We know that. But they're especially important to children and can be especially important to children, young children, um, you know, in elementary school. Can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. Research shows that, you know, like infants and toddlers, for for example, um, with this whole experience, the COVID experience, many of them, if not most of them, will probably be just fine socially. Um, and one of the big indications for, for that age range of kiddos would be how the adults in their life are doing. But as we get a little bit older, as you described, some of the elementary age kiddos, um, you know, this is definitely the point in time where we're just learning how to socially navigate some really hard life lessons, which includes sharing, <laughs> taking turns, expressing themselves, um, learning how to say sorry and how to also accept a sincere apology. I think that children learn so many of these lessons from their interactions with their peers. Um, another big one I want to also say is I practice uh, with my own kiddos, no means no and stop means stop. Um, but one of the big reasons I do play therapy with kiddos is because that is one of the ways that they work through what they are feeling or that they are thinking about. Behaviors tend to show up in their play. So children tend to explain 
explore the world with one another. Um, and it can certainly set the stage for their interactions as they get older. Uh, another example is when a friend doesn't want to play with us anymore. That can be really hard but also an important lesson in learning about boundaries, um, whether they have been stepped on or what our own are. Well, I know my five-year-old granddaughter who's been doing um, online learning. Uh, she started kindergarten this year, and it's been uh, 100% online learning for her. And she has started remarking to her, to her dad that uh, she's lonely. And she has play dates, but they're over Zoom. And she's a very extroverted child. I would make that assumption about her. And that she's feeling the loss of somebody to literally play with. Um, yeah. It's, it, does it, you know, looking at a child who uh, is more extroverted than introverted or after a year, it seems like there's a lot of children that just want that one-on-one -on -one interaction of somebody in the same room, another child playing with them. Yeah, 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 I I totally feel that. I think, um, I think that being in person is a whole different experience than the kind of 2D version via Zoom. You know, I, I think being able to interact with the same toys or being able to um, create stories together, because I find that these interactions via Zoom or digitally, a lot of times it's the kids showing things to one another in their own space, but not necessarily interacting and playing with one another. Right. It is a very different right. experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that interacting with another child gives them a whole nother set of skills if I'm if I'm hearing you right. Yes. Yes. So two big ones would include language development as well as empathy. Um and I think that uh <laughs> you know when it comes to language development, especially for younger kiddos, um, it's it's the conversations that they have with one another. And um, one of the important pieces for kiddos in isolation is, um, are you having those conversations with them? Because, um, for example, depressed adults in the household might be less prone to having good communication. That would include having conversations with their kiddos, um, not to say that, of course, they're not interacting and talking with them. I'm sure many of them are doing the best that they possibly can. Um, and, you know, language development is really important through that peer interaction. And additionally, empathy. Um, I think that when we're having those interactions um, in person or what have you, an example would be how do you think that that kiddo feels when perhaps you try to take their toy away? Um, how would you feel? Uh, middle schoolers, quite frankly, can be uh, quite brutal <laughs> in some of these yeah. important skills uh, that uh, yeah. develop. Um, and in fact, there was also some level of which uh, research showed that some kiddos who had been experiencing bullying um, felt relief in not having to have these social interactions anymore. But right. there might, in fact, right. be some level of like the reintegration that could be a little bit problematic down the road for, for that particular mm -hmm. population. Mm -hmm. Well, at what age and how important it is, is it for a child to have a really close friend? At what age does that become more important than, say, another age? So I 
have to chuckle at this one, and um, <laughs> it's 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 kind of a common occurrence for kiddos to be friends with one particular child one week, but then best friends with another the next <laughs> <Yeah>. week. <laughs> um, it's an interesting transition that children go through uh, in learning, in fact, how to have multiple friends that they're close to and play with. Um, and this might actually be especially true for girls, um, but they can sometimes struggle with having more than one friend at once. Um, it, it actually can lead to a lot of uh, hurt feelings and dramas, <laughs> um, such as, you know, a, a child choosing to play with a different friend over another one. There might be those feelings of rejection. Um, and you might hear children start to make the statement, you're not my friend anymore. Uh, they go through mm-hmm. a stage sometime around four years old. Um, Mm -hmm. So I would also say, especially for older kids, um, that would include adolescents and teens, the social drive is massive uh, to what they're doing developmentally. And uh, more often than not, their friends are their whole world. Um, Many of my own teen clients have said to me um, that all they want to do is hang out with their friends rather than be stuck with their family. But in terms Mm -hmm. of having close friends, it is that idea of support. It is that idea of of having people outside of their family unit who they can turn to and talk to. Um, But I I would say that it is important for kiddos to have close friends if it's available. Um, And uh, I would also say for for parents out there, um, it can be really beneficial to have another family with whom you're able to have, again, your kind of bubble, if you will, where you can create and facilitate some of those interactions in person if possible and if the uh, anxiety and risk levels are comfortable for the family as well. So it sounds like the issue of having a friend is a little different for elementary age, a little different for middle, and a little different for high school. So it, it really depends on the age of the child. That is exactly right. Uh, it, can be, it can be quite different depending on the developmental level that they are at, yes. Then I would assume that there the issues of social isolation would be different for elementary, middle, and high school. And yep. when we get into middle, um, I know that there's been a lot of discussion about the suicide rate and about uh, adolescents being more prone to that. And has the pandemic increased the suicide rate among adolescents? That is a very sad reality that um, we are seeing, and it will be very interesting to see what the actual numbers are as we come further out of uh, this experience, this time period, you know. Um, To be honest with you, like anything else, um, I want to be careful to not overgeneralize when it it comes to to children. Um, Like any other population, it it does depend on their circumstances and their context. Um, But with such a majority of all people, including children, we've had these major adjustments and life changes in this last year. Um, And in fact, research on natural disasters shows that compared to adults, children are more vulnerable to the emotional impact of traumatic events that disrupt their daily lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it um, it really brings home the fact that uh, social isolation for an elementary school child, which I think is one of the reasons, at least in Washoe County, 
that they uh, let children come back full time. And then middle school, they do the hybrid of part working from home and part working at school, and the same with the high school. Um, Yeah, so I I think that with kiddos, uh, the younger kiddos in particular, um, it has been so hard to transition to full virtual um, or even the hybrid. Um, they, They really need that routine, and it is, um, I think, very difficult even for the older kiddos, in fact, to try to even try to do the hybrid. It's been kind of all over the map for them as well. Um, But I will say I also actually lost probably a decent load of my, uh, part of my caseload that um, I really cherish, and that is working with kiddos because it was so hard to transition to a digital format for, like, say, the play therapy that we do. And I would imagine that um, this was probably very true for a lot of uh, classrooms as well, that the virtual sessions, uh, uh, schooling sessions, became very, very difficult Um you know, children uh, have a little bit of that distractibility, and there is an association of their uh, computers with, say, game time or um, uh, getting to watch shows or something of that nature. And so I think that that association probably also made it a little bit difficult to stay fully focused. But children of elementary age uh, often need the structure and the routine of the classroom. Um, And in terms of, like, coming back to the depression piece of it, um, I think that I'll, I'll share with you, in the Journal of the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, uh, and this was published in November 2020, uh, quote, this rapid systemic, uh, systematic review of 63 studies of 51,576 participants found a clear association between loneliness and mental health problems in children and adolescents. Uh, loneliness was associated with future mental health problems up to nine years later. The strongest association with depression, uh, the strongest being the association with depression, and these findings were consistent across studies of children, adolescents, and young adults. Um, there may also be sex differences, with some research indicating that loneliness was more strongly associated with elevated depression symptoms in girls and with elevated social anxiety in boys. Um, the length of loneliness appears to be the predictor of future mental health problems. Um, and so I think that this is a really big thing where we've really, as a whole, as a society, as a world, tried to do the best that we could do on behalf of all of our citizens, including children. And this has been a massive, massive debate. What do we do? How do we best do it? And um, I think that we're gaining a lot of information as we go forward. But I think it is very clear that children have a very strong emotional response to the circumstances that have been uh, occurring around us. Well, and and you mentioned a few minutes ago about the screen time, the video chats, the Zoom dates. You know, children have so much more screen time than they used to have. And I've even noticed in my grandchildren that uh, they're a little more, I don't know if the word would be addicted, but that they want to be on the screen all the time, much more than they did before. Uh, Parents have really had to lessen some of their boundaries around screen time. And that'll be very interesting 
when we go back to in-person school and the screen time is, is cut way down. Um, what do you think about the amount of screen time that children are having right now? I definitely think that's been a particularly hard one in which it's been essentially unavoidable. Um, I think that this is one of the major cautions that we hear as parents. It's like, don't allow your children to be on their screens all the time, and now here we are. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, to be honest with you, I think it is pretty much a vital part of our current moment. And quite frankly, technology is here to stay. I think that, um, you know, when it really comes down to it, certainly children should be encouraged to do other things things other than screen time, such as playing with toys or reading books or, uh, you know, of course, again, depending on their developmental level. Um, But in addition to that, an interesting occurrence is happening, uh, certainly that I have noticed, and I'd be curious to see if it's happening at a larger scale, and that is that um, there's almost as well kind of like getting sick of the screen time, having so much of it, in fact, that they are also craving being able to do other things. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that with with the addiction issue, it's a very real issue. I mean, there's there's major studies that uh, show how our dopamine um, uh, neurotransmitters, uh, which are responsible for pleasure seeking, um, there's a, a high correlation that those dopamine receptors are are just kind of off the charts with uh, the screen time. And so, you know, to try to take away a tablet from a kiddo is whoo, it's a it's a rough one. It's a rough one. I feel for you guys, uh, all those parents out there. I I am in a similar boat, um, but also it's so necessary. You know, I think that there are times where we really do have to redirect their attention and their focus. Um, but in some ways, especially for a lot of working parents, it's kind of the digital babysitter. You know, it's it's something that allows you to get some of the work done that you need to do, yep. you know, to get your laundry done, to get the food made, you know, it it just I think is something where we integrate it in rather than having this uh idea that it's it's hundred percent bad. It's not. It's not. Um and I, I think it does serve a purpose but it like anything is something that we have to look at the amount of time that we're really spending on those screens. Yeah. Well, let's talk. Let's let's go back for a second to the social skill issue. So, social skills, and I could be wrong, are something that we practice. I mean, we learn in different social settings certain social skills, and then we practice them. So, a child that hasn't had many social interactions, except maybe with adults, for over a year, will they lose their social skills? Do we when? When this pandemic is over, do we need to go back to teaching our children social skills and giving them all sorts of different opportunities to learn social skills, or will they regain it quickly? I think here communication is key, and I think that we should talk to our children about the importance of proper communication skills, providing them with tips as to how to have conversations with others. And, uh, for example, that would include listening versus talking over someone else or sharing about things that are important to us as well as caring about what is important to others. Um, I think we actually have an opportunity to gain depth and increase our social skills as a whole 
by taking time to address these factors um, that might have just been kind of a given previously. You know, I think with all of the upheaval of this last year that 2020 brought with it, I mean, we've talked previously as well about uh, the the discord amongst family and friends and uh, the ways in which this last year really tore people apart. So I think communication as a broader whole is really necessary. And I think coming back into it, I think is going to provide an opportunity to treat it in a different manner than we might have once done. So how can we help our children um, with this void? They they filled up their daily interactions with family, friends, school teachers, et cetera, and now there's a huge void for them. How can we help fill that up? Um, and how can we encourage our children to talk about their feelings? Well, as to how we can help, again, structure and routine are extremely important as those tend to lessen anxiety by allowing us to have at least some semblance of control or even certainty, you might say, in our day-to-day activities. Um, Additionally, as children do tend to be sponges to the feelings of their environment, the more that parents and adults can do to really do their own good self-care and emotional check-ins, I think better off the whole family unit will be in many cases. Um, But I also think that encouraging kiddos to give back to others is really powerful. Drawing pictures or writing letters to those who are in, say, senior homes could be massively appreciated by another group who has been severely struggling with loneliness. And when we give back to others, we fill that internal void within ourselves as well. Um, Truly, it can be really, really wholesome. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. This moment has been a long one. I mean, again, coming on a year now where once we were so busy and bustling, things have dramatically slowed down. And I think that this quote-unquote pause, so to speak, is an opportunity to identify how these kiddos would like to experience the world. It's so important to talk to them about how they're feeling um, and now also to help them identify what matters to them, um, that perhaps they have maybe even some perspective around that they didn't uh, have before. There's so many things that we take for granted in life, and one thing I love about children is their love of simple things. An example would be bubbles. (laughs) In the movie Knocked Mm -hmm. Up, uh, actor Paul Rudd says, I wish I loved anything as much as my daughters love bubbles. Uh, And what I love are those happy giggles that kiddos have when they're playing with bubbles. And as kiddos get older, creative activities, connective activities are really stimulating, encouraging them to discover the world through their five senses, taking them outdoors. And then, you know, in terms of the encouraging to talk about their feelings, first is identifying the basics, sad, mad, happy, excited, disgusted, scared, but then expanding into what we feel in our bodies uh, when those feelings happen. An example would be when I feel anxious, I might get a little knot in my stomach, or when I feel sad, I might feel that same knot but in my throat. Um, I think that when we can identify these feelings within ourselves, it does allow us to then label them and talk about them in a whole different way. 
so often kids will act out, and part of that is because they don't know how to put words to what it is that's going on inside of them. So often it might be that, in fact, they're they're actually really sad or they're actually really scared, and they just don't know how to exactly express that. So when we're encouraging kiddos to talk about their feelings, it's really also a preventative measure for some of those older ones, the, the middle schoolers, the high schoolers, the young adults. When we encourage them to, to give voice to what they're going through, it really is a life-saving measure. Well, this pandemic, I mean, if we were to talk about opportunities, and I think we're probably going to do a podcast on the pandemic and the opportunities it's given to adults in their lives, but it has given children an opportunity to experience um, how you do coping skills in a difficult time. Is that mm-hmm. true for children? And they've they've had to learn some of their own coping skills, and that's not a negative thing, uh, so to speak, is it? I think that's such a such a solid point there, and I really appreciate it. I um, I agree entirely that this truly is like a quite a seasoning, if you will. Um, This is definitely a time in which it's uh, in such uh, acute perspective that uh, coping skills are needed. Um, And definitely I think that people are going to have some uh, major mental health concerns as we continue forward and as we hopefully really start to see that light at the end of the tunnel of this experience and in the years to come. Um, But I think that it absolutely could provide some very foundational skills for people in going forward uh, from this moment in time and into their adult life. Absolutely. And also, I know parents get very anxious about what's happening for their child and will this be a long-term issue for them, whatever feelings they're having of isolation, sadness, et cetera. How, how does a parent know whether they need some professional help with their children or their child um, for these feelings or whether in a family environment uh, the child will eventually uh, be just fine with those feelings? You know, I think one of the the biggest pieces is um, withdrawing. If they start to see that they're having some major behavioral issues beyond what they're even able to control, um, and uh, I, you know, sometimes just checking in with them and giving them that opportunity to to again speak their own piece, that might be enough. Um, sometimes it is, you know, looking outside. Um, of of their own current little bubble and deciding maybe we want to integrate some more people in so that we can start uh, refamiliarizing our kiddos, uh, again, as it feels safe. Uh, But, you know, sometimes, too, it's encouraging them to do some things that um, would include, say, gardening or um, getting really good exercise. So I would say when when we've tried a lot of things, when we've tried a number of different things and and we've put really good time and attention towards it um, and kiddos are still struggling, um, I would say for parents as well, is that also perhaps a reflection of how you're feeling? Um, Because I think that's one of the best ways that we can give back to our kiddos is by, again, taking care of our own best mental well-being. And if 
still, you know, we're we're finding that we're starting to feel a whole lot better, but we're still seeing our kiddos struggling. Maybe that is a time to start uh, looking into professional services. Um, it could be therapy. Um, I would say, again, for the, the younger ones especially, the in-person, if possible, would be a preference. Um, I think it's really hard to, to try to do therapy for kiddos uh, digitally. But with that said, you know, if it's middle school age or even high school age and if they're willing, um, there are definitely resources uh, virtually. Um, and certainly, again, I think uh, with therapists being in that Tier 1 uh, for vaccination, I do think that there quite, are quite a number of therapists that are beginning to get back into the office um, in person. And I myself is included in that um, because there now feels like a greater safety uh, net for, for all of us in that process. But, you know, as, as far as it goes, if you have a gut feeling, that's, I think, one of the biggest indications. If you just, in your heart of hearts, in your gut, feel something is not okay, something's a little bit off here, that is the time. That is the time. Good last words. Any Anything else you'd like to tell parents about hanging in there, Noran? Because it's been a tough year for yeah, yeah, it certainly has, hasn't it? And, you know, I I think that this moment in time, this is some of the greatest growth that we go through in our lifetime, unfortunately, is through adversity. You know, when times are really good, we savor them all the more because of what it is that we have gotten through. And as we're getting through, there are times where we're like, I don't know, I don't know if we can keep on keeping on. And somehow, some way, we still do. We keep putting one foot in front of the other. And that is one of the greatest lessons that we can teach to our kiddos. Another resource that I would love to offer to parents is um, Brene Brown's Wholehearted Parenting Manifesto. You can find it on her website under her resources page, um, but it is just so beautiful. It's so phenomenal, and it's a, one of the biggest premises of that is that we get through it together. We get through it as a family, but part of it is recognizing when we ourselves have made mistakes. You know, there might be parents out there that have raised their voices or they've they've lost their cool and they feel really bad about it. Well, you're not alone. A lot of parents have been experiencing that. And the thing about it is to, A, definitely apologize, own your own side of the street, even as a parent. You know, let your children know what I just did. Oh, yeah, I'm not I'm not okay with that. I really lost my cool. Um, and I want to talk to you about it. That is a really good opening to get into those conversations with feelings because kids, they're listening, they're paying attention. I think we're going to leave it there, Noran. We've been talking about isolation in children and some of the effects of the last year of the pandemic with Nora Ann Brooklocker. Nora Ann is a local marriage and family therapist with Sierra Sunrise Wellness. Thank you, Nora Ann, once again for giving us such great information. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And to listen to more of our podcasts, go to accesstohealthcare.org slash podcasts. Please wear your mask, stay safe, and consider getting the vaccine.